something toward the fire. And so my brother, noticing that, jumps up and grabs him and holds him back and sits him back down in the chair, saving him from walking right into the fire. And in a small way, he's kind of obeying that proverb of holding someone back from danger, from destruction. Uh, But ultimately, the state of every person who does not know Christ is that of a person who is blindly stumbling toward eternal death, toward eternal fire. And this proverb says, hold them back. And so as we think about the need for evangelism, I want to think about it in two points. We're going to see what's at stake, and then we're going to see how to hold them back. So what is at stake when we think about evangelism? And we've touched on it already, but it is eternal souls. Eternal souls are at stake. And this is how we need to think about people because this is how God thinks about people. Maybe you don't realize that, but your friend sitting next to you is an eternal soul who is going to live forever in heaven or in hell. And if you look around this whole room, every single person in this room is an eternal soul who is going to live forever somewhere. And as you walk around at school and you see all of your peers and you see people who are saved or people who are not saved, either way, they are an eternal soul who is going to live forever in heaven or in hell. Or even L.A. traffic, when you see hundreds or thousands of cars on the road, every soul in those cars will live forever somewhere. How often do you consider that, that each person is going to die and is going to live forever, either in heaven or in hell? But the problem is, here's the problem, God is going to cause a division. He is going to judge and divide between those who are righteous and those who are wicked. We see in Psalm 1 verse 6, it says, Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And the problem is that every single soul by default is in the wicked category. That's the starting point for every single person. That's the problem. That's the reason that evangelism is so vital because as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Ezekiel 18, God says that the soul who sins shall die. He's talking about eternal death and punishment. And Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. So if every soul by default is going towards eternal death, and the soul that sins will die, that's a serious problem. And eternal death, we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about hell very much, but Jesus talks a lot about hell. And a couple examples are in Matthew and Mark. In Matthew 13, Jesus describes hell as a place like a fiery furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he describes it in Mark as a place where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And this is eternity for the sinner who dies in their sin, suffering and paying for their sin under the full wrath and judgment of God. That is what awaits every single soul if they don't trust in Christ. That's the reality. That is the problem. And they don't know they're going there. They are blinded by their sin. They are stumbling toward the fire. They need to be held back. They need to be held back. And here's the thing. No sinner is going to turn back from that path on his own. It's impossible. It's impossible for a person blinded by sin to recognize their state and to turn away and to turn to eternal life. And so secondly, we need to look at how to hold them back. How do we hold people back from this certain and serious destruction? They're staggering blindly. They're led unknowingly by the deceiver. And here's the thing. How can they trust in Christ if they don't know who he is or they don't know the truth about him? The only way for them to be saved is to place their their faith in Christ, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we praise God that there is a way that sinners can turn back and enter eternal life, but it's only through Christ. It's only through faith in him. And the problem is that no one is going to put faith in him if if they don't hear the truth about him. 
right? Because Paul says in Romans 10 that faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing the word about Christ. That's where faith comes from. From hearing the word about Christ. And Paul will go on to say, and how will they hear without what? A preacher. How will they hear without a preacher? So there needs to be the gospel proclaimed to these sinners. And and so therefore there needs to be a person proclaiming this message. Somebody needs to do this job of evangelizing to turn these people back. To hold them back from hell and get them to turn to Christ. To tell them that they are on the wrong path. And so the gospel must be proclaimed, and there must be someone to proclaim it. But whose job is that? We might think, oh, that's just the job of a pastor, or that's just the job of some famous person who calls himself an evangelist, or maybe that's for more mature Christians who know more. No, I want to tell you that it's for every Christian. Every Christian is charged to preach the good news that Christ will save you if you repent and trust in him alone. That's your job. That's your job on this earth. And why is that? Well, well, we can see that in Scripture, even in Proverbs 24.11, right? It just says, deliver those who are being taken away to death. Proverbs is a general book for everyday Christians. This is part of your job. And, of course, you're also familiar with Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all the nations. And he's not just talking to the 11 disciples standing there with him because he says, and lo, I am with you always for how long? Even till the end of the age. So he's thinking of the generations of Christians that will come the whole time that he is waiting to return. He will be with you to help you, but it is your job to evangelize and to make disciples and teach them about Jesus. And so that's the reason that we need evangelism, and that's the reason that you, yourself, if you're a Christian, need to evangelize. But what should be the motivation there? The motivation to share the gospel with the lost, to hold them back from eternal death, is not simply to obey a command or to avoid the guilt that would come from not doing it. Although you might feel guilty if you don't because God has commanded it. But that's not the motivation. The motivation for evangelizing the lost should be love for God, first and foremost. Love for God, right? Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so if you love God, then you'll evangelize. And, and this is just basic Christianity, isn't it? Who is a Christian? He's a person who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. Their chief desire is to do God's will and to accomplish his purpose. That's who a Christian is. And by the way, if that's not your first desire, if God is not your first love, you need to seriously question whether you truly are a Christian because a Christian wants to do that. And to love God is to love what he loves, and he loves sinners. Ezekiel 18 says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies. Therefore, turn and live. Joel 2 describes God as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting concerning calamity. 2 Peter 3 says that he is patient towards you, not desiring for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And of course, you're familiar with verses like John 3.16 and Romans 5.8 that talk about God's love in sending his son to die for sinners who believe in him. And so God loves sinners. But you should also simply have concern and love for the lost. Love your neighbor as yourself, the second great commandment. And Because it, it would be strange, wouldn't it, if, for example, around the fire, this friend got up and was walking in and we all just sat there and watched it happen. That's not loving to him. That's hateful toward him. So if you love the Lord and you love sinners, you will seek to see them saved by preaching the gospel to them. I want to end with a quote from a wise Christian named J.I. Packer. He said, It's a tragic and ugly thing when Christians lack desire and are actually reluctant to share the gospel. If we find ourselves shrinking from this responsibility and trying to evade it, we need to face ourselves with the fact that in this, we are yielding to sin 
and Satan. Rather than that, friends, we should count it great joy and a great privilege to participate in God's saving work of sinners by preaching the gospel to the lost, holding them back from certain death. So deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Oh, hold them back. Okay, now we'll have Josh come up for our next point of time. Awesome. Thank you, Caden. And as Caden sits down here, I'll take that microphone because we're going to borrow that one as well. That was a great way to start. Uh, I'm also Tim Brenner and Ruth Hanthorn's also going to come because we've got a little discussion next. So Tim, you can come on up. Ruth, come on up. Um, leave it there so it doesn't roll off. That's um, yeah, that was a great way to start off. Just, you know, if you're a Christian, you love what God loves and, uh, and therefore God loves sinners. We love sinners by sharing the good news. Okay, here's what I want to talk about in this discussion. We're going to chat, the three of us. Like three friends sitting on the same side of a table at a coffee shop. Which would be very strange uh, to do. But, uh, you know, some of you are like, Josh, I get it. That's great. I know my unsaved friends, they're going to perish forever. But how do I do that? What does that happen? Uh, or how, how do we go about this? And so we're going to tackle for a few minutes a couple of things. Number one is what, what needs to be said. So Mac this morning preached 50 minutes on the new life. Is that what I need to cover in evangelism? That's the question. And then after we do what needs to be said, let's talk about like how we get in those opportunities, okay? And by the way, the, the number up, if you have questions, you're allowed to text those in during this time, uh, and we'll tackle Q&A in just a little bit. So Ruth, Tim, I'm sharing the gospel with someone, or I'm wanting to talk to somebody about Jesus. Do I need to talk about like, creation, and then flood, and then Jacob and Esau, he was a bad dude, and the, you know, Joshua chapter 6, and Jericho, like, what do I need to actually talk about when I'm trying to explain the gospel to somebody? So, Ruth, what would you say to that? Um, <clears throat> I would say, um, I would first pray, and, and ask the Lord for help, ask him for wisdom. Uh, I'm not the most eloquent person, you know, we don't, it's hard to know what to say sometimes. So ask the Lord for help and, um, ask him just for a genuine desire to love that person and, um, to have opportunities. And then when you do have conversations with them, um, I think one thing that's important is that you don't want to talk about just outward things like, oh, don't cuss, don't, um, watch those bad movies, uh, things like that, because if you're focusing on the outward, um, you're not actually getting at the heart. And okay, maybe they're they become a better person. Maybe they listen to you. That doesn't save their soul. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you want to look for opportunities to talk about the heart. Um, and I don't think it has to be super complicated, super. Um, you know, this is my three-point sermon that I've prepared for you. Um, try to share scripture when you can. Uh, I know I want to get better at that, at knowing verses, because it's not just what I say, it's it's what the Lord says. Um, and um, kind of what Caden said, you, you do have to share the bad news, so you want to look for those opportunities to share the hard truth so that they can hear the good news is that Christ um, will will save them. And, um, and Romans has been a great, um, study going through that for people. Um, so yeah, a little bit of trying to change to get to the heart. That's really good. I, I really like what you said about, it's not just about like the morality. So the goal is not to make, you know, smokers into non-smokers, yeah. Democrats into Republicans or anything like that. Like, that's not, that's not our goal is we, we want them to believe the gospel. Tim, what are you going to what what are the things you go you can't say everything maybe all the time so what are the things you are are trying to key in on what are your goals there well i think ruth said a ton of stuff that i was going to say and it's it's similar i i do think scriptures are important um romans uh talks about the wages of sin is death and uh but the free gift of god is it, the free gift of of Christ is, is what is it? Eternal life. Eternal life in Christ Jesus, yes. I'm, I'm not nervous at all. But um, no, I think, I think it's important that there is good news, but there, like you said, there is bad news. Yeah. 
And we do need to discuss the fact that we had a right relationship with God. Our sin has offended God. It's ruined that relationship. The only way to have that relationship restored is through Jesus Christ. And uh, John 3.16, you guys know that verse. And, and that's something that you should be coming out normally in your normal conversations. And then uh, with a right relationship, there's also a repentant relationship that comes from that. You can't just say you're a Christian, but if the Holy Spirit's within you, then obviously you're going to live a different life. John this morning was amazing talking about how we've been transformed from an old person into a new person, and we have new life in Christ. And that should be evident in the way that we live our lives. So I want to talk about sin. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about the person of Jesus. Talk talk to me about faith, because I think when non-Christians or the word believe, when non-Christians hear the word faith or when they hear the word belief, they think superstition. So you need to believe in Jesus the way little kids believed in Santa uh, when they were little kids. So that's not what we mean by faith. What what is it that we're that what is that we're supposed to have faith in when it comes to Jesus? What are what are we believing about Jesus that that saves us? Say that? Mm-hmm. This one wasn't on your notes, so I'd just like to put yeah. you both on the spot like that. Um, I would. Well, I mean, the first thing I thought of is that everyone has faith. Yeah. Um, we we have faith that. You know, if my if my phone if I drop if I drop it, it's going to hit the ground. I have faith that um, when I go to the grocery store, that um, that the the police officers are going to protect me, that I'm safe. You know, we we go through this this life with these, I guess, maybe assumptions. I, I yep. could be maybe not explaining it right, but um, it when we talk about Christ. Um, I think it would maybe be important to talk about the reality that we have. Like the Bible is the Bible is truth, and so yes, your your faith is um, is accepting that what God said is true. So that's I would say the the faith part. And um, one more thing about just when you're what to talk about is if you don't have all these verses memorized, like that's okay. Work towards that. (laughs) Work, work towards that. I need to be, we all need to know the Bible better, but you can talk about what God's done in your life. We can all do that. And, um, and yeah, talk about what, how, how did you come to faith? Um, what was, what was your, what did God do in your life? So I don't know. That's great. That's good. Jim, anything else to add on that? Well, I think everybody has faith and, there's faith in a lot of wrong things. There's faith in a lot of wrong teaching. Um, I think the object of your faith is the most important critical part, and that is having the right faith in the right God, and then it stems from that. And that means, as, as we've heard a couple of times today, that faith comes from hearing. That comes from hearing from God's word. And so you have to know God's word so you can articulate the, the correct kind of faith. That's great. Yeah. Faith in, faith in, I like what you said, everyone has faith, faith in the right thing. So it's faith in Jesus and last week you talked about faith in Jesus as my savior, not just my helper. I think that's a important thing. We're coming saying I needed Jesus and you need Jesus to completely rescue you. This isn't a tag team effort. Jesus is life coach that promotes you. He, he delivers you. Okay, the thing I want to talk to you about, about that I, the reason, bigger reason why I have you up here is because you're, you're really good at these things is, okay, how do we get into these conversations? Because... Very rarely does it happen. You're a student, you're at Hart High School, you're at Granada, and someone comes up to you and goes, hey, you know, I got the next 25 minutes free. Can you just explain your entire worldview to me? Go. Do you have a Bible? I actually have a Bible. Go for it. Uh, like that, that doesn't happen. People, you don't say, talk to me. So how do you get into those conversations? I'm going to start with Tim this time. Tim, how, how, do, you, uh, how do you get in conversations where you're able to talk about sin and faith in Jesus. How do you go about that? Uh, great question. Matter of fact, I got a chance to speak at uh, Ignite this last week at Saugus High School. And after I spoke, a kid came up to me and he said, hey, how do you get the conversation started? So I said, you know, what? I think going, you know, and making disciples and showing who we are as Christians, I think that's second gear. First gear is just being a friend. I think God wants to use us as who we are, not just what we do. Um, but I think we, we need to just be people that actually are friendly, that are caring, that are willing to listen, to be a friend. I think that's the starting point. Um, 
my wife, Shelly, we have a neighbor who just passed away. But for the last 10 years, she's cooking meals for them. She's, she's walking on the street. She got them a Bible. She's open to talk to them about whatever discussion they wanted to talk about. It wasn't always spiritual, but the goal was to always to get there. But I think you have to build a relationship with just being a friend and caring because when they know that you do care, they're, you're going to have an opportunity to actually get into some of the things that are more serious. I have a friend named Joe that I've known for 25 years, a man on the basketball court uh, at Santa Cruz Athletic Club. And over the years, Joe's like one of the hardest guys I've ever met, difficult guys. But uh, we've just – we played basketball for like 20 years together. Then we started having coffee together. Now Joe's going to church, wants to get discipled. He's reading his Bible, memorizing scripture, and doing all the things. But it took 25 years. So you may not be able to have – just sometimes you only have a few minutes – to get the gospel out and you want to do it as loving and being a listener as much as possible and ask questions. But sometimes that may be not just the one moment. You may have a lifetime of an opportunity to, to continue to be salt and light for those people. So, yeah, we need to go. We need to share. But we're also salt. We're light. I think of the the Good Samaritan story and the guys, you know, dead on the side of the road. And the first character quality that happened before – the, the Good Samaritan went to help him and bandaged him and put oil on him. It says he felt compassion. And I, I, I sometimes wondered, am, am I actually a compassionate person? Do I really care that what Caden just talked about? People around us are on their way to hell. And am I hoarding this eternal truth that I have? And, and am, am I too afraid that I might offend them? I shouldn't be. Because somebody reached out to me in high school and my life has changed because of it. And I I think that's something we just need to be friends and have that uh, that privileged position of when the time comes, we have an opportunity to, to open our mouths and share what God has done in our lives. The testimonies are great as well. Let me recap a few things Tim just said. It's really good. Sometimes you don't, often you don't have a one-time conversation where you get to lay it all out. It's, it's picking your spots. It's going to share here and there, asking them questions about what they believe because it often gives you opportunities then to share what you believe. I love the yeah Tim I thought the big the big picture remember we're not I'm not sending you out today as like car salesmen so the goal isn't like how do I you know you know trick this person into the kingdom that's not it is it is a person I thought I think friendliness loving them comes from yeah treating them as more than just a, a customer you're trying to convince to shop at GCC or something like that so Ruth I want you to talk a little bit about and we've got a few minutes um You've got someone that's coming to church in the last few months through a, a friendship you've had at the gym. So talk about that a little bit, um, and and how did you how did that come about? Talk about it. Yeah, that was that was really awesome. I think um, for a long time I've been worried about uh, sharing the gospel because I've been so focused on what other people think about me. And when I actually joined high school ministry and I started focus on focusing on other people. Um, and serving others where they were at. If they're saved, how can I be an encouragement to them? How can I help them grow? If they're not saved, how can I share the gospel? And when I started serving more in the church, I started having that mindset with with everyone. And um, so, yeah, when I was at the gym, um, um, yeah, just praying, Lord, like, if there's opportunities, I think I think prayer is huge because it's your, your mindset. It's on others and how the Lord can use you. Um, and yeah, uh, there were some other believers at the gym too. And, uh, one of them invited her to the Christmas concert and, um, we just ended up talking about the gospel. I asked her if she goes to church and, um, and, uh, yeah, through, through that, I was able to share the gospel. Um, and she came and she wanted to come more. And, um, I think, I need to continue now to be a faithful friend and I need to pray for her and not just say, Oh, I'm praying for you, but I need to, uh, do that. And, um, and yeah, trusting that the Holy spirit is working. It's not like clever words that you say. Um, he is the one in charge of salvation. Um, but you need to not care so much about yourself and how you look so that you can be used by the Lord, um, for their salvation and leave the results up to him and, and love the Lord yourself. Don't be a hypocrite, um, evaluate your heart and, um, and take the opportunities to serve in church. You probably have so many opportunities now. And instead of like, Lord, help me to have opportunities. It's like, 
Lord, help me to use the opportunities I already have, yeah. witnessing to my brother and my sister, and um, that I might not know the Lord. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that was great. So again, relationship through the natural course of life, mm-hmm. invitation, ongoing conversations. I know you've talked with her more than once about yeah. how things are going, and yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, we got lunch. But I time. love that you said it's a priority because it's a priority because you're in the mindset you're praying. Those conversations happening. So that was great. Can you guys thank Tim and Ruth for sharing? Thank you guys both so much. Leave the mics here. That's good. Okay. All right. We got a couple more things left. So let's do this. Uh, everyone, just do a quick stretch break. Go. All right. Well done. Let's go. Take your Bibles and go to First Peter. First Peter is where we're going. This We're now in segment three. So segment one, Caden, the need for evangelism. Segment two, the dream team behind the one-sided coffee table. Uh, how do I actually do this? Here's what I want to talk about today. How many of you in school do your eyes perk up, you get excited when your teacher says, today is the beginning of a new group project? How many of you love group projects? Raise your hand if you are a group project person, okay? Because you like, how many of you despise group projects? You don't like them? Oh, bummer. My illustration is going to stink. No, I'm just kidding. Group projects are hard because you have to work with people. But I want you to turn to First Peter because I think evangelism is a group project. I think part of the reason why we're not very good at evangelism is we see how lost someone is and we think, I need to convince them. I need to transform their heart. I need to say all the right things. It's up to me individually to do that. And in reality, in the New Testament, what you find is, again, this proclaiming of the good news that all of your sins can be forgiven, that God can go, you can go from being under the wrath of God, from being under the love of God. Getting that news out there is actually something we do together as Christians. It's something that's a priority within the church. It's something that we work on together. And I want you to turn to the book of First Peter, if you haven't done so already. I'm going to talk about group evangelism for a few minutes, and I'm going to give you three, because I went to seminary, I have to alliterate, I'm going to give you three Ps. Three Ps as to how we do this together. Okay, so the first P I'm going to give you is purity. How do we, as a group, evangelize the lost together. How do we do that? Well, the first one is, like I said, purity. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter is Peter writing to these people who are being persecuted. Uh, they are stranger being Christians. 1 Peter 4 says the world looks at them and go, goes, what are these weirdos doing? Um, and what, what happens here in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 11? He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that is a reminder, you do not belong to this world. Okay, so you're on your campus, your campus is not your identity. You're at your job, that's not your identity. You're on your team, that's not your identity. You are sojourners and exiles. I urge you to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. By keeping your conduct excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good works as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So Peter is saying here, look, it is hard to be a Christian because if you live the way Christ calls you to live with your mouth and with relationships and with your priorities and time, the world is going to slander you. But live holy together because as you do that, The unsaved world sees it, and some get saved. And so a huge part of evangelism, a huge part of the evangelism of our church, a huge part of the evangelism in this group is the personal holiness of the people who claim to be Christians. Look, evangelism is about more than holy living. Right? We, we can't know. Nobody looks at your good works and goes, wow, I need to be saved by faith, by the grace of God. Right? They, they need instructions. They need more than just deeds. But living in an unholy life can undo all the teaching. Right? That person is saying that Jesus Christ came with the greatest news ever. It doesn't really seem like they live like that. 
So the question I would ask is, how do we evangelize together is this. We, we want people to come. We, we say, bring your unsaved friends. Bring them on Sunday mornings. Bring them on Wednesday night. No, there's a bunch of uh, students that were at South last week. Every week I, I visit a Bible study. There's, there's always students that are there. The question is, do they see any difference in our group than their school friends? Is gossip the same? Is, is slander the same? Is the way that we treat one another or ignore one another, uh, the way we talk about one another, any different than the unsaved world around them? Because what's compelling about it? It's like, oh, these people act the same. It's just well, these people talk as if they're better than the other people. And so purity is a huge, huge aspect of our witness, that we would help one another live holy, so that we could be a better witness of the God who's transformed us. Go, go to 1 Thessalonians. It's going to be to your left. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Again, this is about public witness. Paul, he's commending the Thessalonian church. He speaks well of the Thessalonian church throughout this letter. For Chapter 1, verse 8. He says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. All of these people are hearing about that your faith, your faith in Jesus, all of these unsaved people, and here's what they're hearing. Look at it, verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of an entrance we had with you, how you turned to God from idols, turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. So these unsaved people, what do they hear? They really worship God. There's something different about them. So you go to your campus and you share the gospel and they show up and they say, man, there's something different about your group. Or you have a heart for your unsaved friends on your private Christian campus. And so you bring them to Wednesday nights, you bring them to Sunday, and they all of a sudden see, wait a second, these people all believe the same thing I say that I believe, but by their action, there's something different. It really seems like they worship Jesus and not idols. And so I can't dive into more on that, but think about that. Think about what am I doing so that as the believers I'm working with, we together are living in a way that models Christ's likeness for the sake, not because we're better, but for the sake of winning the loss. Okay, the second one. Second one is prayer. Prayer. The first one, how do we, how do we witness together? Purity. Second one, prayer. I'm not going to talk about it much because Ben's going to talk about it. But praying together. How do we get together and regularly pray for unsaved friends. Hey, I'm witnessing to someone. Guys, unsaved friends coming tonight. Can you pray for them? You know, oh, hey, that visitor that came last week, how are they doing? Let's keep praying for them. Do we devote ourselves to praying? Do we talk more about <laughs> some of the silly hobbies that we invest in, or do we talk more about the people that we're trying to reach and specifically talk to God about those people to be continued by Ben? Third thing, the third thing I will call is purpose. Purpose. Do you purpose together to make evangelism a priority? You could call this one priority if you want to call the third one. Is it, is it an emphasis? Is it a goal? You can turn this last passage, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I would remind you of, of another text. We're not going to look at it. But remember, in Matthew 28, Pastor John referenced this at the end of his sermon this morning. He said the goal of the church is to what? To go into all the nations and to make disciples, right? That is our goal. If you want to know what is it that we do, what's our goal at church? Two things according to Matthew 28. Baptizing all people, that's people coming to know Jesus, and teaching people to obey all that he's commanded. That's, that's seeing people become like Jesus. Knowing Jesus, becoming like Jesus. That's our two goals whenever we get together. And so your thoughts should be, if I'm a Christian, I come on Wednesday nights, the goal along with worshiping God and growing for myself is how do I help people come to know Jesus? How can I help people come to become more like him? Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering my prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. That word there could be partnership. Paul didn't see himself as the evangelist. He was partners with these people. What did that partnership look like? Well, well, sharing the gospel is part of that. Praying for gospel opportunities. Praying together. Financially investing is actually what Paul's going to talk about in Philippians chapter 4. 
about using your resources to go towards the spread of the gospel. The funny thing about priority and purpose is there doesn't need to be an exact way that it plays out. If your group of friends says, what can we do to get people to hear the good news? Practically, the application for that could look all sorts of ways. It could look like starting a Bible study on your campus. It could look like every Wednesday night together, you text a bunch of your friends, say, hey, what are you doing tonight? You should come. It could look like showing up early to pray. It could, it could look like you guys testing each other and say, hey, what's a better, shorter way to talk about repenting of sin and, uh, and trusting in Jesus? How do, how do we get better at talking about that together? Do you have any verses on this? Hey, I have a friend that I talked to at school that, uh, that says that all ways to God are good. And I don't have any verses. I just, I fully blanked, uh, you know, and I didn't know what to say. Do you have any verses on that? Do you see when it becomes a priority in the group, uh, when, when that becomes a focus of your life, uh, you don't need me to tell you, well, here are the six steps it looks like. It just looks like you and your friends, whatever way you can, getting the message out. It's you saying, you know what? I'm going to explain this, but I can't explain it that great. Uh, and though I'm trying to get better, I'm going to bring you to Wednesday night where someone who can't explain it really well is going to teach. I'll bring it Sunday where I know Josh is going to act like there's non-Christians here every week. If you want to know why I preach the gospel every week, it's because I want you to bring unsaved friends. And so the thing that I want you to take away from this is primarily the group aspect of it. We're not sending you out today to be a bunch of lone rangers. Work together on this. Talk with each other about this. How can we as a group rescue sinners who are going to perish for the glory of God? That's the aim, that's a priority, and that's what we're hoping would be a priority for our group. With that, I know you have questions, or maybe you have questions. We'll find out. Caden's going to come up, uh, segment four. Caden's going to come on up, and uh, you guys have been sending questions. Matt is also going to come up to answer some of these questions. Guys, we've got to be fast and furious. We got this. So, Caden, I'm going to give you this. They've sent, you have all of the answers, no, no, you have all the questions. I have the questions. You, you have the answers. We'll find out. All right. So, Caden, what were some of the... What were, I think so. Just flip that up. Yep. What were some of the questions that came in? Yeah. One of, one of the first ones, really good question. Uh, what do you do when people refuse your attempt to share the gospel with them? Or, or for example, you want to invite them to small groups or Bible study, and they become aggressive, and they are totally against that. What, what should you do in a situation like that where someone's just hardened against it? Yeah, you, you just need to continue to act like a Christian. I think one of the things that uh, can happen if someone's getting aggressive or is escalating, wants to argue with you, then you start getting maybe a little bit more feisty, but we've been called to be patient, right? And the Lord does that work. So I, I would say persistence is appropriate. Uh, not It's hard to be persistent without being annoying, so you have to be really aware of yourself, but persistent, right? You, you want to be consistent with your, um, your love for them and persistent with the message of the gospel, but, um, but I would say not aggressive. Yep. I, I agree. Maybe, maybe it's you dial back if, uh, if they've gotten so angry how often you're inviting them to come join you, but you just want them to always know like, hey, you're always welcome to come Wednesday or Sunday. We'll, I would love if you came. Uh, so, yeah. Great. Okay, another question. Uh, how do you share the gospel with someone who claims to be a Christian or thinks that they're a Christian but doesn't show any signs of being a Christian? Yeah, and that's a hard one because <laughs> has that ever been true of you? Like, have you ever, like, I'd just be curious, have you ever acted in a way that somebody went like, oh, that guy's probably not a Christian? Uh, because if you look at that snapshot, so... I would ask questions. Um, I would just say, you know, I, I think a very simple question is what, like, hey, how would you share the gospel with somebody? If someone's, it depends on how church this person is, how religious it is, but figure out what they believe about faith. Maybe they think I'm a Christian because I've always been one. Okay, if someone says I'm a Christian because I've always been a Christian, that's a red flag right there because Christians aren't, uh, we don't inherit our faith. We've recognized we're sinners, and we've trusted in Jesus. Um, we've trusted in Jesus to save it. We've, we've called. We've cried out upon the name of the Lord to deliver us. And so I think that could be a good way to, to ask that question. Um, 
Matt? Yeah, I went to Romans 12, which, um, uh, so starting in verse 9, the the um, heading in your Bible might say marks of a true Christian or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so just remembering to be consistent in your testimony, right? And perhaps that will help highlight the differences between the two of you. But I agree, Josh, you got to check yourself. Like, are you, are you having maybe some spiritual pride that's leading you to decide that somebody else isn't a Christian and that's not really up to you? Verse 17 is, um, sorry, 16 there, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And then this is, I think, really helpful in, with, to answer that question. Never be wise in your own sight. Yeah. So you're, it's not your job to judge whether someone is a Christian. It is your job to be a Christian yeah. in front of them and to have Christ-honoring conversations, and that will bear fruit in that, in that relationship. By the way, on that, a very loving thing might be Matt and I are friends, and at some point I say, hey, Matt, I just noticed whenever we talk about Christ in church, you don't seem really excited about that. Am I reading that correctly? And you just, it's a, great it's a very question, yeah. awkward question. It's a very loving question that's not coming across as like, hey, did you know you're probably a false convert? Uh, like that's, that's not a good way to do that. But there's a way to do that. And you should ask those questions. You, you should because, because if you do want to get to the point where you are going to eventually talk to them about, bro, I don't know where you're at. It, it's going to start with the smaller conversations. And over time, as you keep talking to them about, their love for Christ is you keep talking about their sin and they're not loving Christ and they're clearly clinging on to sin. Okay. That's when you can have that conversation when you've shown that care in time. So helpful. That's a great question. Yeah. Okay. Here's another really good one. What if I don't have many unsaved friends? I'm someone who is homeschooled and constantly surrounded by godly people. Yeah, you are (laughs) happy, happy for you. Yep. I'd be curious why. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're going to get a job at some point. or I would actually start by saying uh, part of it is be part of the evangelism that should happen here. You know, I know it's, it's a prayer of mine. I pray for a lot of students, most by name. Um, I, I, I'm praying that, uh, I shouldn't say most, some by name. Um, like, what some of the people in this room need is to get saved out of pseudo Christianity is for some of their friends that love them to go, Hey, I, I don't feel like you're really living this out. I, I think pseudo Christians find one another and keep patting each other on the back in their pseudo Christianity of just kind of naming it, but not really living it. And so I, I think be part of the evangelism here in like a kind, caring, compassionate way. And then my follow up answer would also be then go get some unsaved friends. Yeah. yeah and I would just say, and uh, this might, be a, a, a little bit shocking, but if you are a person who says you don't have unbelieving friends or you don't have exposure to unbelievers, you're actually living in disobedience to the Lord's commands. And John mentioned that this morning. Matthew 28 is a command to Christians go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's not just for missionaries. It's not just for grown-ups. It's to everyone who's a Christian. So if you're in that that camp where you, I, I don't think there's any unbelievers around me, well, then the command very clearly from our Lord is to go find some. Join a, a, a sports team. Do something. Use a hobby or an interest to, to go and actually establish those relationships because it's the command. Yeah, if I'm excited about cheeseburgers, which I am, I'm gonna Be find. Out I'm gonna find time. cheeseburgers. Flip burgers. Yeah, and if enjoy. I'm excited and zealous about sharing the lost, I'm gonna. Yeah, I wasn't yeah, just I talking think, about lunch. Oh, I, I, was, I, thought, I was making a comparison from the lesser maybe, to like, the greater. You like cheeseburgers, yeah. and they. It'd do be really hard to say cheese. I'm really zealous to get the good news yeah. to perishing people. I just can't find any. Uh, I think if That's it's a good. priority, you're going to find them. Um, all right. Okay. One more question for this morning. What if I don't share the gospel or explain the Bible perfectly? My intentions are good, but it just doesn't come out right. Mm. So um, your job is not to be perfect 
in your evangelism. Your job is to go and evangelize, to start those conversations. And um, so, so two things that I would say is if you don't have an answer, it's okay to say, hey, I – I like your question. I want to get back to you on it. Don't tell them something that you like. Don't make up something because if you're lying while you evangelize, it's a real awkward um, situation you get yourself into. So that would be the, if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, Hey, I'm learning too. Doesn't that demonstrate humility? That would be an awesome example. The second is know that if you know, but three verses, if you've memorized just a few verses, God's word does not return void. So you you use those verses. Maybe they don't directly apply, but you just say, hey, I'm not sure specifically about this, but let me tell you that John 3.16 says this, and start somewhere, but bring bring scripture because we know that the, the promise is it won't return void. I can't tell you the number of sermons I've preached in here that I said that was a that I fumbled over my words, I wasn't clear, and people are like, that was so helpful. That helped me see things clearly. I'm like, praise God. I've also preached sermons in here that I'm like, man, that was amazing. I killed it today. And everyone felt And Pierre's like, that was, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, and so it's not about the messenger. It's about the message. Uh, God's word goes forth, accomplishes the purpose that, uh, that he, he intended it to. So there we go. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Good questions. Thanks, uh, okay, Ben, final, final, final word of the day. It's Ben Herb, everybody. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, there you go. I just feel like we needed a transition. So the topic I've been assigned is evangelism and prayer. Uh, Josh already mentioned that quickly. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to go, we're going to start in Genesis 18. So you can actually turn there. Uh, but the reality is uh, that you as a Christian, uh, as you share with unbelieving friends, uh, the fact that you are a Christian and you share the gospel to them, you're going to get all kinds of different reactions. Uh, some are going to be interested. You invite someone to youth group. Sure, I'd love to come. I'd love to hear. I don't really know much about it, but I want to hear. Uh, some are going to just be not interested. Eh, that's that's cool. That's that's good for you. That's not good for me. Some are going to want to. Some are going to be angry. They don't want to hear any part of it. They want you to stop talking, uh, get out of their life in a very real sense. Uh, and also the opportunities for evangelism are going to vary. You, some days you'll have time to talk with people, you'll have opportunities, other times it won't be there. Uh, but the one thing that you can always do, no matter the person's response, no matter uh, the person's interest level, uh, is that you can pray for them. You can always pray for unbelievers. And in fact, if you are a Christian, this is something you need to be doing. If you are a Christian, you need to be praying for your unbelieving family and friends. Uh, Spurgeon says the most kind thing you can do for someone is to pray for them. That's true for a believer and for an unbeliever. If you love someone, if you loved your unsaved friends, you will want to pray for them. So three uh, evangelistic prayers we need to offer. That's what we're going to do. Three quick points. Point number one, you need to pray for their salvation. Okay, Abraham was a great example of this in the Old Testament. We're going to read a little bit about this right now. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis 18 starting in verse 20. Okay, so I want you to notice here, this is Abraham's getting to uh, Sodom. He's interceding for Sodom. Destruction's coming. And I want you to notice his desire that someone be saved for destruction. Okay, notice how many times he asks for salvation. Uh, so I'm going to start in verse 20. So Yahweh said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see whether they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. The men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before Yahweh. Then Abraham came near and said, this is Abraham speaking to God, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put to death the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous... And the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do justice? So Yahweh said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. 
Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five, so 45. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Then he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the 40. And he said, oh, my Lord, be not angry, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, oh, my Lord, not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 10. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, Yahweh departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Six times he pleads for them. He cries out over and over again to the Lord. Continually, he sees destruction is coming. Destruction is coming for the city. It's going to be burned up. And he wants to save these people. What's his response? He wants to save them. He doesn't try to go in and get them out. He prays to the Lord that he'd have mercy. This is the story of the unbeliever. Destruction is coming for the unbeliever. And a way you can love them is to pray for them. That You pray the Lord would have mercy and save their soul. And if you look in Genesis chapter 19 then, verse 29. Thus it happened when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. So he remembers the prayers and he saves the righteous in the city. We've been learning a whole bunch about the heart of the Lord, okay? God answered Abraham's prayer here. The heart of God is to save sinners who repent. If you've been in Jonah, and I know at least one group isn't there, but you're going to see that with Jonah, the heart of God, he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, okay? If you turn from your sin, he will save you. This side of judgment, or this side of glory, before death, God is open to all who turn to him. And you finally see that with the sending of his son, Jesus. You see it all throughout the Bible. The character of God is, is consistent. In 2 Peter 3, 8 to 9, we have it on the screen. The Lord is not slow about his promise, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So when you pray, you're not praying to a God who's, I guess I'll answer this prayer. I guess I'll save some. But no, you have a God that wants to save sinners, and he's going to delight to answer those prayers. As you pray for unbelievers, and you continue to do that, you will see some unbelievers come to faith. But evangelistic prayer for you guys is more than just praying for conversion. Okay, This this is going from death to life. You can't do this yourself, so you're praying to God. uh, But God has also revealed the way in which he's going to save sinners. Okay, It's not just he knows who will be saved, but he also knows how they're going to be saved. You've heard this a little bit, but they need to hear the gospel. They, the way they come to faith is they hear the gospel. We talked about that in Romans 10. How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? They need the word. So if they need the word, what do you need? Point number two, you need to pray for opportunities. Okay, they need to hear the word of God from you. It doesn't just happen. You can't schedule an appointment with an unbeliever, they must be willing to hear and you must be ready to speak. And God actually commands us to pray for these opportunities. So Colossians 4, uh, 2 to 6, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been bound, that I may make it manifest in the way I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, redeeming the time. Okay, so he's commanding you, pray for open doors that you would have an opportunity to share the gospel. This could be you invite someone to youth group, uh, but you're praying for that opportunity. You're praying for that conversation. Some of you have text messages. You have opportunities available. You You have the number of every one of your unsaved friends, most of you, and you can always text them. You have some opportunities. You can pray for more and better opportunities that a conversation would be started. Uh, but I was thinking in my own heart this week, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, a friend at seminary, you guys know I'm in seminary here. We're going out for lunch as a group of us going out and I'll pray for unbelievers that they'd be saved. But I realized oftentimes I fail to pray for the opportunity. He's just, he was just sharing from his life, how he was going on a work visit somewhere. And he was just praying to himself, Lord, I'm only going to see this person one time. 
I pray that you'd, you'd give me a chance to share the gospel. You'd open up a door. You'd give me an opportunity to speak. And as simple as that can be, it doesn't have to be something magical. It doesn't have to be something mystic. It's just a simple, Lord, I'm about to have a conversation with this person. Open up a chance for me to share the gospel with them. They need this message. Find a way uh, to open up this door. And the Lord will use that and he will take that. Don't just pray for salvation, but also pray for opportunities to present the word. And the last one, as, you, as you're going for opportunities, if, if you have your, you, we all have a sin nature and we all at times can, can think, but, but what are they going to think of me? What if, what if I lose friends? What if I'm considered that Christian kid and I'm not cool? Or what if I'm going to stand for a position on creation and I might even get a bad grade on this? What are people going to think? What's going to happen? The final point, point number three, pray for boldness. We all have the temptation to shrink away. No one's immune from it. Every one of us has it. Okay? And in Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes about this. He says, praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the spirit. And to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, as well as on my behalf, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, so that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The very last line, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The expectation is that we do speak boldly. This is how we must do it. It's not easy, but the expectation is that we must speak boldly. We've been saved from the wrath of God. We have an eternal inheritance in heaven. This is a glorious gospel we have. So we pray for boldness. We pray for opportunities, and then we pray that when the opportunity arises, when we get there and the chance to share the gospel is that we don't shrink back. We ask the Lord to give an outpouring of his spirit, that we would be bold, and we would present the gospel. The same spirit who's sanctifying you, the same spirit who brought you to salvation, can give you the words to say at that time. Okay, He can give you boldness and strength. So, to summarize... Uh, unbelievers need the gospel. We need to pray for them. Three prayers you can offer. You can pray for their salvation. You can pray for the opportunity. And you can pray for boldness with the hope that the heart of the Lord is to save sinners. And as you offer these prayers, some will come to faith. And at this time, we're going to have Josh come on up and we're going to transition into a time of prayer. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. I think a direct way to wrap up our time today and apply what was just talked about then is to spend time praying. our hope is that the people we know, the people that God has put in our life, that they'd come to know Jesus, that they would uh, repent of their sins and be forgiven, to, to be rescued from eternal wrath and rescued into eternal joy with the God who made them. And so what I want to do now is I don't need to exhaust our prayer requests. You know what they are. You just got three of them right there. Uh, pray for opportunities together. Pray for boldness. Pray for individuals. Pray for people that you know. Pray for them by name. Um, I think, pray that Lord save so-and-so and save this person. And, uh, let's go to the Lord because we know what we want is for people to trust in Jesus, to devote their life over to him that had become their greatest love. And we can't do that. And so we need the Lord's help to do that. So why don't we spend a few minutes in prayer together? Um, maybe even if you're here and you've heard the gospel today that you would just pray, Lord, save me and help me come to trust in you and to love you in the way that was just described from your word. So, uh, why don't we go right to it? Look at the people right around you, three or four people. Find them now. There we go, four or five, whatever you need. Okay, good. And you just go right to prayer. You don't even have to talk about to pray about. You just go right to it, and I'll close this up when we're done, okay? Does that sound good? Okay, let's go right to prayer. Go for it. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the good news of the gospel. Um, Lord, we do confess we do not care as much about sinners and the good news of salvation. As much as we ought to, we are easily distracted by things of this world. Um, we, we are cold towards uh, the eternal state of every person. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us your heart of compassion. God, how good it is that we're not asking you to stir up something in us that doesn't already exist for you in you. You love sinners, and you love to rescue those who repent and place their faith in you. And so, Lord, give us that heart. We do pray for people. Uh, We pray for those in our schools and on our teams. Pray for the people down here in the valley. We pray for people up in Santa Clarita. 
Pray for those out in Simi. Lord, we pray for the irreligious, unchurched people that we know, that they would hear the good news. Lord, we pray for some of our religious friends that know your truth so well and yet know you very little, uh, that you would open their eyes and cause them to trust in you, Lord. God, we're thankful for the opportunities we have. But Wednesday nights, we know that camp registration will start in a month or so, and we pray for all of the things that we do, Lord, that you would use them to draw sinners to hear the good news and put their faith in you. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you for that we get to share a message that has worked for us and that you've rescued us through the gospel and we get to proclaim the very grace that you've shown us. Pray you'd help us to do that with zeal. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.